Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you, and uh, just wanted you've already heard, but I just wanted to remind you, we've got the food drive this Friday, we've got the community Thanksgiving meal on Saturday here, and then on Sunday we've got the community service that's going to be at Market at the Mill this year, where the Ministry Alliance puts on a service for anyone to attend. This year it's a little earlier, it's going to be at 4 p.m. because it's at Market at the Mill, it's outdoors, and so before the sun starts to set. So if that's something you're interested in, we'd love to have you there. That'll be um, this Sunday at four at Market of the Mill. So I need the, the mothers in the room to help me with this. You're gonna, I'm going to say something, and then I want you to finish what you would probably say next, okay? I think, you'll, I think this, you'll know what to do. I want you to picture that one of your children comes up to you, when, let's say when they were younger, and they say, Mom, have I told you that you look so pretty today? What, do you, what would probably be the next thing that you would say to them? What do you want? And, or what have you done, right? That's probably the next thing you would think. You'd think, hmm, why are you being so nice to me? Okay? And uh, I wanted to, I thought of that last night because I think we're all pretty good at smelling out the, that sometimes we see what someone's doing and we think, why are you doing this? What, what is it that you're doing? And we see this in uh, sports and business all the time, uh, this phrase that people say, what is your why? I'd, I'd be curious how many of y'all have heard that phrase before, but the question that I, I remember um, whenever we were one year in football, we, were, we weren't doing great, and I remember one of our coaches told all of us that we had to write down and write on a piece of paper what's something that we play for. And he, they picked a few of them and they asked some of the players to read. And you'd have one kid that he was playing for his little brother who was special needs. Or you'd have one player who would say, I'm playing for this reason. And, and the idea was, and, and you see athletes do it all the time. They'll maybe write it on uh, their, they'll write it on their cleats or on their, their uh, wristbands or something. They'll write down kind of something that inspires them of why they're doing what they're doing. And we see this in businesses too. There's a famous book by a guy named Simon Sinek. That's, uh, his book is called Start With Why. And he, it's a good book. It's a self-help book. Um, but one of the lines from the, his book that probably is the most popular is people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And what you do simply proves what you believe. And this idea that in life, um, the reason why Martin Luther King Jr. was able to change the world was less to do with what he did and more to do with people were inspired by why he was doing what he was doing. The reason why Veterans Day is something that is moving to all of us is I can see a picture on Facebook of a soldier or a veteran and I have no idea what they did in the military. I don't know necessarily what branch they're in. I don't know how many years they served. I don't know any of that. But you know why I feel moved and I'm appreciative of them? Because of the why. The why do I get to... I, I don't know what they did, but they served and they did something that makes me think, man, I'm so thankful for why they chose to be a part of this. You know what I mean? What it, what it means to me. And so... I'm gonna, there's a movie and that many of you maybe have seen. It's called Cinderella Man with Russell Crowe. He's a boxer in the Great Depression. And he, I think I've referenced it in a sermon before, but there's this great scene where he's, he's doing good. He, he had gone and just become a terrible boxer, wasn't good anymore, broke his hand, and he was on this upward climb. And an interviewer asks him, 
what's the comeback? Like, why, why are you able to come back? And he says, I know what I'm fighting for now. And they ask him, well, what is that? And he said, milk for my kids. Um, and he said, to keep the temperature on, because this was during the Great Depression. And they, a theme throughout the movie is the thing that makes him be able to push through is he now knows why he is doing what he's doing, why he is trying to, because every time he wins a boxing match, it's one step for his kids, one step further away from them living in the cold, from them not being able to eat. And that's his why. So keep that in mind and hold on to that. I think uh, that question of why we do what we do is going to be important for this sermon. We've been going through a series called The Good Life. We've been talking about Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and now finally we're going to do two sermons on the book of Job. And the book of Job, I believe, is something like 40 chapters long. So obviously this is not going to be an exhaustive uh, in-depth series on the book of Job. And even if I did, that, I don't even know if you could ever fully do one of those on the book of Job. So this will be how do we, what does the book of Job have to say about the good life? That's my point in this sermon series. How do we let the voice of a very challenging, complex book enlighten us to this question of what does it mean to live this life well? And so one thing that you're not going to hear me do is I'm probably not going to be able to get into the weeds of a lot of the reasons why Job is a tough book to read. If any of you are like, man, that book really convicts me and challenges me and makes me ask some tough questions, sadly, I don't know if this sermon series is going to answer those for you. First of all, I'd love to tell you more about it in Wednesday night class if you want to come. Second of all, if you want to just call me and say, this part in Job always confuses me. Can we talk about it? I'm more than willing. I just wanted to make sure you knew I wasn't like skimming over the tough parts. Uh, that's just not necessarily as applicable to what I'm trying to, to cover in these two weeks. So with that, if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Job, let's be introduced. Many of you maybe have heard this story before. Some of you maybe haven't. But let's get introduced to this man named Job. In the land of Uz, what a name, in the land of Uz, there lived a man named, whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So the narrator introduces us to this man named Job, who by all accounts, just life is great. Excellent life. Um, and, and he's also a great person. Uh, I, I don't think he's being facetious when he says, man, he was the greatest man. I think he, it's just a way of saying this was an incredibly great man. And so then we have this scene where we have God, and it's described like God up in his heavenly courtroom, and he's talking to people. And one of the people that's there talking to him is the adversary. Um, your Bibles might have the name Satan in there, but the adversary comes and it is in this place talking with God, and God's um, God's saying, man, you know, my guy Job, he is an awesome man. Man, he just is wonderful. Can you, he, he's the best, that, you know, he's the best of the best. Top Gun, just the best of the best of the best. I love Job, he's amazing. And uh, Satan kind of pushes back a little bit. The adversary says, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. I think, you know, reading through the lines you're supposed to see, he's like, listen, Job, of course he's going to follow you. You have given him this incredible life. Like, what, of course, this is, 
he's got a protection around you from him. He's, he's really blessed. He has all this awesome stuff. Like, duh, who wouldn't follow you? I don't actually think he really has any good, strong faith relationship with you. It's just all a, you know, kind of a, a, a charade to get this good stuff. And God, I believe, kind of responds and says, uh, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. I think God's kind of saying, in my, or, you know, kind of like, I just, I actually think Job is faithful. I think he does love me and worship me. Um, so go ahead if you want to, if you want to test your theory. And so uh, I'm going to skip the next part, but basically the bottom line is Job loses everything that he has. Things come, and you can read it. Uh, it's in Job chapter 1. Things happen in his life where he loses all of his possessions, everything he has, and he even loses his children. And suddenly, you have this dilemma of, of okay, here we go. You know, Now he doesn't have that hedge of protection. Now he doesn't have all these blessings. What's Job going to do? And in verse 20, it says, At this, Job got up, and he tore his robe and shaved his head, all things of you know, grieving. And he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So here we go. Answer. It's problem solved. Job was faithful. He, didn't, he wasn't in it just for these things. <clears throat> and then Job 2 comes around, and God is talking again about Job, and he's saying, There is no one on earth like Job. He is blameless and upright. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity. And by the way, that word integrity, um, don't think of, uh, it's more than just that you make good choices. It's your faith integrity. Like if I said, I'm going to walk across this bridge, be careful, it doesn't have good integrity. It's kind of a certain level of like, oh, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to walk across that. This integrity is kind of his, his fiber, his faith fiber of his willingness to stay committed to God. Though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. He said, even though you, you compelled me with no reason to do this, uh, he, he, he hung, hung in there. And then Satan says, well, skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for, uh, for his own life. But now if you were to stretch out your hand and hurt his flesh, his bones, like actually physically harm him, he will surely curse you to, his, uh, to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So do what you, do what you think. Go through your hypothesis, but you just can't kill him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Things are looking pretty rough. And Job's wife says to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Are you still staying faithful? Curse God and die. And he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. By the way, fool, just like integrity means more than just what we think of. It means like your faithfulness. Here, foolish doesn't just mean you dumb woman. You, you, uh, it means you, just like we talked about with the whole Proverbs series, right? Wise means whether you have a relationship with God. A fool doesn't mean how smart you are. It means, or how dumb you are. It's whether or not you see God as who he's supposed to be, and you fear and revere him. You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So like I said, this, I don't expect any of you to hear this story and not have a part of you that's like, wait, what? What exactly just took place? 
This isn't very entertaining to read. This doesn't make me feel these warm, fuzzy feelings, Drew. Isn't that what sermons are supposed to be? You know, I've got a rough week. Preach something to me that makes me feel real good um, so I can get through the rest of my week. That's not exactly uh, what you're going to get from the Job series. Um, But like I said, if you have any tough questions with this, please come to me and talk. But here is where I'm going to say, why, what does this have to do with the good life? I want you to imagine, I didn't do this, but I want you to imagine I gave all of you a piece of paper and a pencil. All of you have a piece of paper and a pencil, and I want you to write down everything that you consider a blessing from God. Every single thing. This is probably what many of your lists would look like for many of you. Probably say something like, my kids or my grandkids, my spouse or my job, for those of you who really like your job. For some of you, you might say my retirement. (laughs) Um, My home, your physical house that you have, your your health. I'm in good shape. I'm I'm very thankful that my heart's doing good. Or my financial security. I didn't put the word wealth on there because we all have different definitions of that. But uh, for those of you who think, I'm just really thankful that um, my kids get three meals a day. Or, okay, all those things you consider blessings from God. One of the questions that I believe Job does ask is... If you took that paper and it got ripped up, if you lost everything that you consider a blessing from God, would you still worship Him? That's one of the really important questions that the book of Job asks. Well, if, if you, you know, I have all these things that are blessings from God, if all of those went away, and the question now was, would you still be willing to follow and worship God without them? I don't know. That's a tough thing for a lot of us to consider and a lot of us to think about. And the reason why I think it's important for us to think about is it gets back to what I mentioned earlier of we have to continually ask ourselves, why am I in this to begin with? Am I in this for the blessings or am I in this for the one who gives the blessings? Okay? So let me give you uh, an analogy to help with this. We live in a consumer world, right? With consumer relationships. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. But it has some bad outcomes. But in our lives, we... We spend most of our time determining what we're going to do based on how worth it it is for us, the outcome of the consumer relationship. If I go to Whataburger and I spend, uh, what's a number one, like $7.49 or something on a number one, and the food is bad and the service is bad, I am going to take my $7.49 to the next place, Chick-fil-A, or to, even though it's probably going to be more like $9 there, um, or I'm going to take it to whatever other place that I want to go because I'm paying for your services, right? That's the relationship we, we live in in this world. What do I get from our relationship? And by the way, I, I don't really think, I don't think you're being mean to Whataburger. If, if you don't like the burger, don't spend your money there. Go somewhere else. That's, that's understandable. But then this infiltrates our lives in other ways. Um, the covenant of marriage is something that God created to be a covenant, and yet we've taken the marriage relationship, and for many people, it has become a consumer relationship. This is a quote from a book on marriage I really like. Throughout history, there have always been consumer relationships. Such a relationship lasts only as long as the vendor meets your needs at a cost acceptable to you. If another vendor delivers better services or the same services at a better cost, you have no obligation to stay in a relationship to the original vendor. In consumer relationships, it could be said that the individual's needs are more important than the relationship. And this is what we do with marriages. I am going to choose to marry you because of what you're going to provide for me. Right? Let me say, like, from my perspective, if I wanted to do this. I chose to marry Catherine because I was expecting her to be the one to provide me with children. 
I married her because what I get out of it is that she's going to make my meals every day. I'm marrying her because what I'm going to get out of it is that she's going to provide me with all the needs I have as a man, right? That's a consumer relationship. But that's not what God created marriage to be. God created marriage to be a covenant relationship where your love and your relationship is more dependent on how much you're willing to give than what you're willing to receive. And so instead of asking yourself, is this person worth marrying because of what I'm going to get out of it, the question we should be asking ourselves is, how much am I willing to give to this person because of how much I love them? That's what a true marriage relationship by God was designed for. And if you don't believe me, Look at the fact that Jesus and God said, we are the groom and you are the bride. And what does Jesus get out of being our groom, right? How much does he get out of that? How much does he give out of that, though? Okay. So, the next question I think all of you should be asking, because it's the one that I am asking, is, so Drew, are you telling me that if I follow God, are you telling me I should follow God even if I get nothing out of it? Because that's a sure, that's a lot to ask, okay? And I think that's an important question. And I'll give you an answer in just a second. First, I want to talk about Jesus. And the question we have to look at is, we believe that Jesus lived the good life. We have to believe that. He came and lived a life that represents what it means to live well in this world. If, you, if I asked you, who, who did life better than anybody else? We have to say it was Jesus. I mean, right? Okay? If you don't get that, you've missed some of the point of this series. And yet, what did Jesus get out of it? Jesus didn't get health. He didn't get wealth. He didn't get power. He got death, humiliation, betrayal. But he did get one thing. He got God. And this is the answer to my question. So, Drew, what do we get out of this? The, question, the answer to the question is, you should not be in a relationship with God for the things that you get. You should be in a relationship with God because you get God. Okay? So Tim Keller has this great quote that I love, uh, and it's hopefully if you were like writing stuff down, this is the one worth writing down. But don't obey God to get things. Obey God to get God. And here is what we learn from Job. Job makes us ask, part of the question is, in this life, in this life that we, we're trying to live well, there are a couple of big themes that I think are important. First, our world has trained us that the good life is about figuring out what you can get out of it every step of the way. But Jesus and God, they teach us that that is a lousy way to live. Uh, I'll steal a quote from one of our former presidents. Ask not what, you can, what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country, right? From JFK. And that's obviously stealing from him, but it's the same type of thing where the, the first part of this sermon that I wanted to get across to you is the more you live your life with the question of every single day is what can I bleed out of other people? That's a lousy way to live. That's not a good way to live your life. If the question you ask yourself every day, every morning, in every relationship, in every interaction is, are you worth my time? Because I don't know if I'm getting much out of you. That's just not a good way to live. But we do it all the time. That's, that's how we spend so much of our time. Do I want this girl to be my friend? Or do I want this guy to be my friend? Well, they kind of annoy me. Uh, they can kind of be a little needy sometimes. I feel like they're always asking me for a ride. Uh, this happens all the time in college. You know, if a kid doesn't have a car in college, you know, and you're the friend with the car, it's like, hey, uh, do you need to get groceries? 
because I do and I don't have a car, can I have a ride? And there's a question of, oh man, I just give and give for this relationship. So that's the first thing I want you to think about, is I want you to think about the fact that in this story and in Jesus and in God we learn, if we're spending our whole life asking the question, well what do I get out of it? That's just not a great way to live. And then the second thing I want you to think about is that when we pursue God, because we think we're playing, and why, none of you probably think this, but if you really got down to it, if you follow God because you believe that we are playing a part in a system of I do this right and therefore God gives me these good things, then that is not worshiping God, that is worshiping the things that you want from God. Can I get an amen? Okay? If you come to church every Sunday because you think, well, this is the thing I've got to do to get these results, whether it's in this life or in eternity, then you're still not worshiping God. You're worshiping the things that you get out of God. Drew, does that mean that you don't think you're able to have all sorts of wonderful things from following Jesus? No, absolutely not. I've spent tons of sermons up here trying to speak and preach to the fact that a life in Christ and a life in Jesus is so rich and so blessed and so wonderful in ways that we can never begin to imagine. But if that's why you worship Him, then that's not worshiping God. That's an outcome of an overflow that can happen from a life of blessings from God. So, let me go back to the point. When we worship God, not expecting any blessings in return, we get one thing. We get God. And there is no greater blessing than Him. So let me wrap up with this. What if I told you that the, at the end of a devout Christian life, all you got was Jesus and a relationship with the Father? Would you be disappointed? If, you answer, if your answer is yes, then you don't know my Jesus and you don't know my Savior. If your answer is no and you think, I would not be disappointed by that, then you are already getting to live the good life of eternity in the present. Because we know that the love of Christ is already available to all of us here and now. Think about, think about what we just said a second ago. Would you be disappointed if all you got was Jesus and God? If you got up to heaven someday, there was no houses, there was no streets of gold, all it was was you and my sweet Jesus. Isn't that a song? Me and my sweet Jesus, right? If that's all there was, would you be content or would you be disappointed? And if your answer is, I would be content, I've got good news for you. Today, right here, November 14th, 2021, you can have you and Jesus in this life, no matter what else comes with it. And when you come to that place and that conclusion, that's the good life. I'm going to use one more analogy and I'm going to be done. Anel, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you some credit. There was one Sunday after one of my sermons where Anel said, you know, I've said before, um, I could lose everything, but as long as I have my family, I'm going to be okay. And I told her, I said, you know what? That's not necessarily true, Anel, because you did lose your husband one day, tragically, and you're still here. Does that make sense? The answer she said was, if I just have me and my family, then I'll be good. But guess what? We know that that isn't what necessarily happened. And yet you're still here. You're still committed because you know that there's... We're not dependent on what we get out of this. But it's because we want to have a relationship with the Father. And that's why all of us are invited to that same invitation. So when you think about all those blessings you have from God... Be so thankful for them, but don't make them be the source of why you come into this building. Don't make them be the source of why you pray, the source of why you praise. Those blessings are wonderful, but the reason we come in here is because we want God, the Father, 
Christ the Son, and His Holy Spirit living within us. And if any of you want to know more about, about what that life is like, I'd love to talk with you. If any of you would love to be free from living a life where you're trying to work a system to get this better life, but you just want Jesus, that's available to all of us. And if you have any prayer requests or anything like that, please come while we stand and sing this closing song.